Hello everybody, my name is Alex Marks and this is Young History, episode 25 on Sao Tome and Principe. These are two islands that make up the second smallest country in Africa. They are in what is called the Gulf of Guinea because they're on the west side of Africa where West Africa starts to form into Central Africa as it goes from that big kind of like bulging part on the top left. That's what it, that shifty curve is what the Gulf of Guinea is and that's where it becomes Central Africa before it becomes South Africa in the south. So these are two islands in the Gulf of Guinea, as I said. 96% of them live on Sao Tome and 4% on Principe. Both of the islands are part of the Cameroonian mountain line, which is actually a mountain line that goes from the island below Sao Tome all the way through the central part of Africa, which includes Cameroon, and pretty much dissects the, con the continent in half between this mountain range. And it goes from east to west. It pops out on the other side near Egypt and what eventually is the Persian Gulf and all that. So it's in a very unique location and it's got quite the history behind it So I don't want to waste much more time before we go into it and this is gonna be a good one So thank you guys for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being excited to learn some history 25 we've got a quarter of a century of episodes. And we've got about a Century and a half more because that's how math works, but you know, that's what we're gonna do So thank you guys for being here. Hope you enjoy. Let's get right into this thing. Woo! So to start, I'm just going to open and say it now and make sure I get it right. So in case I mess up later, we're on record that I did it right the first time. These people are called Sao Tomeans or Principean. Those are the names of the people that live here today. When it comes to our origins, this is actually an uninhabited island upon its discovery by the Portuguese. And that happens in between 1469 and 1470 when the first Portuguese explorers start to map out the land. It isn't until the later half of the 1400s that control actually comes in the land where Europeans actually set their teeth sink their teeth into these islands that comes from Aforo Comina who actually is given a land grant by Portuguese by the Portuguese crown because he was very rich he was a landowner and of course he was a slave owner so he gets the land grant from the Portuguese and was able to settle down here between 1493 and the year 1500 slavery was brought to the land with him and they actually start crop cultivation to make money more than they are to provide food the origins of the Angolars, which is the people of, it's people of Angola that are Portuguese influenced, they start to make their own settlements here separate from slavery. And the reason that there's a story behind them is because of what they call the Angolars shipwrecked. That is a story that the Angolars believe happened, which is that a slave ship that was going through the Gulf of Guinea with people from Angola was likely going to the Adla across the Atlantic to the Americas and to like the southern part of Central America and all that and the Caribbean all that area to populate them with slaves They believe that they were taken around then and that the ship actually crashed on the shores of Sao Tome and the only people to survive were slaves just like we saw in St. Vincent with the Garifuna people and they swam onto the island After it was already like it already started to be populated by the Portuguese so instead of arriving as slaves they arrive as almost pseudo freedmen so they're able to kind of establish their own settlements and stuff here separate from the Portuguese without it actually being their indigenous land and they're able to avoid slavery for a time and that's how 
some integration of these people comes into the land with the Angolars, and the Angolars make up the per main percentage of people today. So that's how they originally get there. It's in 1573 when crown control actually comes, because for a long time it was through Comina and the land grant he had. In 1573, the crown of Portugal themselves take over, and this sees a lot of things change. This is actually where a lot of convicts would now be sent. Sao Tome is now used as a place for Portuguese, very aggressive criminals, international criminals, like people that came from Britain, or if they had people from their colonies in Brazil they wanted to send away, they would send them here and sentence them to crimes and be punished here, forced labor, things like that. And I think that actually happened was that Jewish children were actually sent here a lot because when there were the Jewish persecutions going on, as it's happened many times throughout history, the children would be separated from their parents, and instead of them being relocated to somewhere in Portugal, they would actually send them to Sao Tome to start their life as a worker. Of course, with the fact that they not only had workers that were being imported as convicts and they had slaves, plantation economy really grew. Sugar and cocoa was used mainly as the cash crop here, and they also brought slaves from other regions outside of Angola, because as I said, most of them were Angolars and they want to harvest this and all the money goes towards the land owners and it actually becomes Africa's leading exporter of sugar for a time and that is part of the reason that other uprisings and things happen because the abuse put on these people is so heavy because of how much they have to produce from this small island as we see in the Caribbean and in other parts like Seychelles and all that there was so much slavery that it really in order to cultivate the land the slavery is even more aggressive than it is in other parts of the world. It's racial and terrible all over the world, but there's certain parts that it's even worse. It's just like in the U.S. where Mississippi and Arkansas were some of the worst states for slavery. And, of course, there were other states that were moving towards abolition earlier, and there's ones that were had a lot less field workers, things like that. So slavery is disgusting either way. But this is one of those countries where it was very, very strict and tight, and the landowners wanted to get as much as they could out of these people. That is going on until around 1595 when there's a very famous uprising here. It's called the Amador Rising. Many enslaved men rose up and broke away from their plantation enslavement. They all flee to a mountain where under the leadership of the man Amador himself, for which the uprising is named, they start to raid different plantations from these mountains. So he, Amador, was a slave that was famous for moving around the area and he did a lot of work to kind of garner support for what he was going to do so on a certain day in 1595 he rallies up all these black people and they break away from their enslavement and they go to the mountains and he calls himself the king of the enslaved and starts to launch raids on all plantations to free more black people from the mountains which make up Sao Tome and he goes into there and kills as many plantations as he can frees as many slaves and there is initial success but he ends up being arrested and executed. However, today he is seen as a national hero and celebrated by many in Sao Tome every single year. There was a brief time in 1641 when the Dutch actually took control of the island for a few years. It was only from 1641 to 1648, so those seven years is all. But they still had it there, and just for a little bit of time, Dutch is spoken in the land, and... Not long after that, they're gone, and their influence is pretty much gone forever. There still remains a itty-bitty less than 1% population there today that speaks Dutch, but it's just so rare that it's like, why? So, in 1875, slavery was abolished. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about Portugal. They have this great claim that they were one of the first countries to abolish slavery, 1761 or whatever it was, 
way before Britain, way, way, way before the United States. They, they abolished slavery before the United States even became a thing. So they have that claim. But when it came to within their empire, it depended place to place when the slavery actually ended. And when it came to Sao Tome, it ends up ending in 1875, which is later than Britain and the U.S., even though they had this claim that, oh, we're one of the countries that ended slavery earlier. So it's one of those where it's like, okay, nice job, guys. Like, you really did a great job. And as you're going to see here really, really soon, it's not even like slavery really ended. And when, even when things move away from slavery and similar to slavery, they still get terrible and they're still racist. So we're going to get into that right now. So slavery is abolished 1875. However, right after that, contract labor is actually forced into the island. Now, forced contract labor is pretty much convicts or people that were former slaves would be like forced to sign this contract development work for this many years to get freedom or get land or get money, whatever. But it's still forced. It's still unpaid. It's still at least 40 hours a week. It's still brutal. And this goes on until the 1900s where the working and living conditions are just awful. They're almost as bad as slavery itself. The only thing is at least you have some semblance of you are free to go walk around. And when you're not doing backbreaking work, you're for, you're able to go to the, around the area and maybe have a little bit of more chill time than you would if you were a slave. But it's still very, very close to bordering it because it's still forced labor. There's not an easy way out. And people have no choice of what they do. They just have to do what this same kind of plantation owners wanted them to do as slaves and not as slaves. Under the forced labor, cocoa actually becomes the biggest crop to be produced. And in Sao Tome, it actually helps them become the largest producer of cocoa in the world for a time. And as I said before, this is all built on the backs of the forced laborers who used to be slaves. And they face constant abuse for a long time until international views really start to see what was happening in Sao Tome and change was called for. So many labor unrest and small protests happened in the early 1900s over the fact that there was forced labor in Sao Tome, but it was in 1953 that a full-scale riot broke out on the land, and this actually gets a famous name because of what happens now, which is on the 3rd of February that same year in 1953, riots were handled brutally by the authorities. Hundreds of African laborers were actually shot dead, killed, hung by Portuguese officials because of the fact that they were resisting the forced labor. They were kind of trying to bring greater attention to it. And there was already a lot of international attention on it before this, which is called the Bata the Batapa Massacre. And before this Batapa Massacre, things are already really tight. They're really looking deeply at Portugal and going, okay, dude, what are you what are you doing? That's not okay. Like that's not okay for you to be doing that to people. So what do you? But that was a s small percentage of the international community. Once it's heard that this massacre happens on the third, where hundreds of people are being killed, that's when people really start putting pressure on Portugal. Like, all right, listen. And that's the early onset for when, in the later part of the 1900s, the Portuguese have an uprising, which ends up changing everything about their future and their empire as well. And the thing that also came from that was the fact that independence like the movement for independence really gets its like steamrolling now because people are ready like they have this momentum and they realize okay it's sick what's been done to us and it's time for us to get this done so the movement for liberation of sao tome and princeit the mlstp is actually going to be a name that we hear a lot it's formed by the people who sought to gain support for independence and they pushed for self-determination they were not allowed to form on the island so they actually had their hq on gabon and the movement inspired the population to want independence. They did this through speeches and quiet. They started writing letters. And they did everything kind of under the nose of the Portuguese government because they weren't allowed to have these 
gather protest. It's not like it's the U.S. where you have the right to protest or the right to, you know, challenge government. Absolutely not when you're in Sao Tome under the Portuguese. So they did a lot of, you know, night meetings. There were speakeasies. There was little coming togethers of these people to spread the idea of independence. And they succeeded in this, and they gained a lot of support in the population of the of both Sao Tome and Principe to kind of garner support for independence. The thing that actually helps them most actually happens in Portugal, which is when, in 1974, the Portuguese people overthrew Salazar and Caetano in Portugal itself. They saw the process of dissolving emperors speed up because they didn't want this anymore, because the people who were under that regime, under Salazar and Caetano, realized that, okay, the rest of the world has kind of stepped it up and released these countries, everyone's trying to get peace, we only had World War II like 30 years ago, let's figure this out, dude, and the kings were not being okay with that, and it was just ridiculous, so they overthrow it, we'll get into much deeper detail on that when we do Portugal in the future, but the thing that happens is empires begin to end under the Portuguese, so that leads us into independence, when in the late 1970s, the Portuguese settlers now seeing what was happening in Portugal and feeling the pressures in Sao Tome, they start to go, okay, we gotta get out of here. So they leave in mass during the 70s, and an election was held for an assembly. The MLSTP, which was the Movement for Liberation of Sao Tome and Principe, won with great majority, over 90% of all people voted who voted in the election voted for them. All Portuguese troops left in July 11th of 1975. So, on July 12th, 1975, everything about Satome becomes independent. Full independence comes. The Portuguese reps are gone. Settlers are gone. And so are the troops. So, there's, of course, issues going from having a very rich country like Portugal control you and run your government and abuse you to now you're independent and you have your freedom, but you don't get any help. That's always the issue with the countries in the Caribbean, Africa. They spend so many centuries under the heel of another country that they don't get to grow wealth for themselves, and they have to face the challenges that come with figuring out your government. And you get the benefit of, yes, you get freedom, but now you have to figure out how to run your country on your own, which is something that is a struggle for them, not because they're dumber or ignorant or less than the Europeans in any way. It's just the fact that they didn't have the experience, because how are you supposed to grow experience running a country when you're more focused on getting rid of slavery and then getting your own independence you'll get the chance to run your own country you don't get the chance to see how these politics work and how it and what it means to have a successful country so it's very hard it all comes from this abuse that they have such struggles so from 75 until 1990 there's a lot of struggles with who's in power and elections quote-unquote elections are very rigged certain people were in power for all 15 of the years but things change in 1990 when a democracy is signed in and free elections start to emerge. And the reason they really push this forward is because multiple parties start to be start to be enacted into the government and they're able to run for election to run the country. Now, despite the fact that Sao Tome and Principe have put in a lot of effort to become like a successful country, they've end crop subsidies, they privatize business, they nationalize production they still are relying on foreign aid to get by in a lot of ways because nobody really wants to invest in the country. And they actually have good ties with Portugal now because things have changed. But it's very weird that despite all the work they've put into becoming like a better, more developed country, nobody wants to invest in them. And I think it's a thing with the weather. They're very like rainy. They get a very rainy season. And it's kind of hard to get there. There's no 
you know, you have to fly somewhere in Africa to fly there, or you have to make the long trip from across the Atlantic, or if you're on the far side of, like, if you're in Japan or something, you have to fly across Europe and Africa to get to them. So they're in a very tough spot geographically, and it's not like when it comes to beaches and stuff, that's what draw a lot of people into islands is beaches and activities. This place doesn't have quite as many as somewhere like Oceania does or the Caribbean and it's not as advertised or anglicized so it's very hard for them to get their step up and because of that despite their best efforts they're still dealing with a lot of struggle on how to run their country. Now some things about the country right now is there's Pico Calgrande and I did that first try if you look up at anyone else trying to say it they stutter and all that I'm proud of myself I did that I said it with confidence even if I was wrong confident. So that is a magma volcano that formed on the island. It's a volcano that erupted and eroded on itself. So it's entirely made out of magma. And it's a vertical structure that's about 1,200 feet up. It's one of the biggest tourist attractions and like sites to see in Sao Tome and Principe, both literally and in the sense of popularity. And it's around the most popular climbing destination in almost all of Africa. It's used all the time for people who scale rocks and all that. And another thing about the country is that the it's a con, con, it's a conscription country where most men ages 18 and up are expected to serve in the military for some degree. Sometimes they're younger, around 17, and sometimes they don't get called into there later. But the men serve this country and have to go into the military, much like Israel and some other countries in the world. And I was mentioning the Anglers earlier, but today they are the big population. They're the people group that descended from escaped slaves because they're mostly from Angola, hence the name Angolars and the Rs is kind of like how they've blended with Portuguese culture and formed into these uh, their own Sao Tomeans. And they're trying to hold on to their culture, which includes Anglo-African traditions mixed with Portuguese dance and colors and foods, things like that. And that's kind of what makes Satomean culture as well as Principean culture, but there's so many more people on Satome that everyone visits there and that's where the money is and that's where the big cities are because it's a very rural country outside of the cities that are the few cities one or two that are in Satome and there's very little things in Principe. And that pretty much is the present where most of the population is descended from people who came from slavery and some of them came from other areas like Mozambique, Cape Verde, out, like outside of Africa, that's where a lot of the, outside of Angola, I mean, that's where a lot of the blood can be traced back to, is Cape Verde, Mozambique. And the people who are mixed between Europeans and Africans are called Mestico, and that makes up about a population of 3-4% within the country, but most of them are African descendants of African blood that had children with Africans, and that's what makes up most of the population. And the two people groups kind of have by that I mean Santomeans and Principeans, they all almost have their own kind of little names that are used by locals because they speak their own language here, which is like a Portuguese Creole mix. It's a very unique language. And I meant to say it earlier, but this is the smallest Lusophone country in the world, which is, you know, a country that speaks Portuguese. Because of that stat, they have this unique language of like Portuguese Creole mix. In that, they call each other Foro for the Santomeans and Manco for the Principeans. So, very unique things like that, and with that, we pretty much get done. That's pretty much the history. That's pretty much them. Um, when it comes to their culture and what they are today, there's a lot of celebrations of not only the self-proclaimed slave king, which was Amador, 
there's him who celebrate every year, but they also have festivals to celebrate old African traditions in Angola. There's a lot of, it's very much like parades and the festivals you see around the world. They make their own clothing by hand, very, very colorful. And there is that mix of Portuguese in there. Portuguese food is eaten on these days because it's to celebrate the fact that they, integ- they, they were able to keep their African culture while being under the heel of Portugal for so long. So they celebrate it by having some Portuguese dishes and Portuguese dance. During this, they're a country that has many different dances that are popular. They've originated a few dances that are popular throughout Africa and growing around the world. And they're very unique in that. And they have a lot of celebrations and a lot of things like that. So that is, that's Sao Tome and Principe. And I'm going to leave it how I always like to leave it, which is with a little mindset or like a lesson to take away. And with Sao Tome and Principe, it's kind of similar to ones I've said before, but with a little twist of stay true to who you are and maintain that because as we saw with Sao Tome and Principe is that they have been under the heel of Portuguese for a very long time and still today they rely on international, mostly European investments and things like that and they still have a connection to Portugal as their biggest business partner. So despite that, these people have still held on to their culture, they still persevered, they still reproduced, they still did all these things through all these years of slavery, all these years of slavery and forced labor, and anything that happened in the country, they still persevered for you. So they are a strong people group, but we are all humans. We are all strong if we choose to be. We are all able to get through tough things. And I believe with Satome and Principe, you can look at them and say, they got through it, so can I. So maintain who you are. You're going to have people that try and sway you, try and pull you down, try and influence you in certain ways that aren't in your best interest. There are great people that are going to influence you. You should be influenced by influencers you believe in who are talented and have your trust because they put out good messages. That's fine. When you have friends that tell you, hey, you shouldn't make this decision because that doesn't make any sense. You're thinking with, if you're a guy, you're thinking with your dick. Or you know, you're thinking about just how you feel right now. Think about the future. Things like that. That's okay. But through that, through those lenses and filters you're going to go through, make sure the core true part of yourself is maintained. And that is the message I want to spread with this because the Sao Tome, the Sao Tomeans and Principians, they stand up and they have been who they are and they formed their own independence. They gained it themselves. They had to fight hard for the empire of the Portuguese to end and they've done what they can. So if they can get through things like that, you can get through what you can get through, what you're going through right now. And whatever that is, make sure you maintain who you are through it, maintain your moral code, maintain your ethics, maintain anything you need to, because that's what matters in the end is staying true to yourself. So I'm going to wrap up here and just say thank you guys so much for watching. So one more time, my name is Alex Marks. This is Young History. And that was Sao Tome and Principe. Thank you guys for watching. Y'all have a wonderful one.